Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Desiring the Kingdom, a study of the books of First and Second Kings. Here's Pastor Nick. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that now, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, lives that put into practice these things that your word is teaching us. Lord, would you build us up in our faith, Lord, in you. Lord, that we would have faith in the midst of our situations to see and to trust in your presence, your purpose, and your power in our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how have you guys been enjoying 2020? It's been a lot of fun, right? It's been a, been a wild ride. It's kind of like there's a new surprise around every corner. I'm excited. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next month. It's going to be something terrible, but I don't know what it is yet. I'm excited to find out, you know? And so uh, do you guys remember how, like, at the beginning of 2020, like, all the churches and all the corporate offices, right, like, their motto was 2020 vision, right? Clear vision, big plans, and how's that working out, right? Like, it's not working out the way we thought it was going to work out, did it? Like, none of us saw this stuff coming at all. These past seven months have just been like one prolonged period of crisis. Just a one long period of crisis on every side, right? A crisis is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. Got that from the dictionary. Sometimes people ask me, Nick, where do you get your material? Well, that one came from the dictionary, okay? So for the past seven months, we've been having all kinds of crises, haven't we? Health crisis. We've had an economic crisis. There's a political crisis. There's social crises going on. And obviously right now with the fires going on in our state, there's an environmental crisis as well. And the question is, how do we as the people of God, how do we as Christians, how do we navigate these times that we find ourselves in? How do we think about, how do we respond, and how do we live in this moment that we find ourselves in right now? You know, one of the things that makes a time of crisis so difficult is that crisis is characterized by uncertainty, right? Have you noticed this is really hard to make plans right now? Like, we're like, well, I don't know, because I don't know what things are going to be like in one month from now. I don't know what things are going to be like in three months from now. There's so much uncertainty. And, and that's why because of this uncertainty, this is why when we are in a time of crisis, all the more we need faith. We need faith when we are in the midst of a crisis. Here's what faith means, by the way. Faith means trusting what God says is true even before you see the results. That's a definition of faith. Trusting what God says is true even before you see the results. Think about it like this. Imagine if you're in a boat out at sea. Right? And like you're way out at sea. Like there, you can't see land anymore. Everywhere you look, 360 degrees, all you see is water. Or how many of you have ever been lost in the mountains? And everywhere you look, everything looks the same. Just hills with trees on them. And, and it's disorienting, isn't it? When you're out at sea, it's a disorienting thing when you're lost in the mountains. And what you need in those disorienting times is you need a compass. You need something to help you find which way is north so you can navigate that situation. Well, listen, that's what God's word is for us. It's like a compass. It is an instrument which tells us true north. It shows us true north, right? It shows us which way is which. In the midst of uncertain times, God's word tells us the things that are true, even if we can't see them or feel them in the moment. 
In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 23, we're going to see two different crises that people faced. And we're going to see this. We're going to see that in the midst of a crisis, we need faith to trust in God's presence, God's purpose, and God's power. That's our sentence for this week. Every week I give you a sentence that functions as our outline. So that's the one for this week. Go ahead and memorize that. Write it down. Take a photo of it. Whatever you need to do. And we are going to walk through that statement as our outline for how we study this passage. So in the midst of crisis, we need, first of all, faith. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. It says this, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Okay, who are the sons of the prophets? Well, some of your Bibles, depending on which translation you use, they don't say sons of the prophets. What they say is the school of the prophets. And actually, that's a much more helpful term than sons of the prophets, um, because that's exactly what this was. This was a training institute where prophets were trained, right? So if there's a young person who wanted to go into ministry, they would sign up for this school of the prophets. It was very much like a Bible college. So here we got these young people. They're going to Bible college. They're going to the school of the prophets. So understand, when it says the sons of the prophets, it doesn't mean these are the literal offspring of the prophets, and they all happen to live together in one house. No, no, no. This is a school, like a Bible college, a training institute for prophets. Now let me just remind you what the prophets were. Sometimes we hear that word, prophets, and we think they're like fortune tellers or something, right? That they were all about telling the future. No, no, no. Understand, at this time, the prophets, the office of prophet in Israel was much more like the office of a pastor today. The prophets were the pastors of the people. The priests, on the other hand, remember, their ministry was confined to the temple in Jerusalem. They didn't leave the temple. They didn't move around. Everything they did was located centrally on the temple. The prophets, on the other hand, they were different. They were moving. They were out amongst the people, living among them, walking around, going to their towns and villages. They're very much like pastors among the people. Also remember this. At this time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had the kingdom of Israel in the north. That was the larger kingdom where more people lived. And you had the kingdom of Judah in the south, which was less people, but they had the city of Jerusalem. Now, understand what this meant. Because Israel was divided at this time into these two kingdoms, if you lived in the northern kingdom, because of the political tension, you were essentially cut off from the temple in Jerusalem. So the ministry of the prophets was all the more important in the northern kingdom of Israel because they were cut off from the temple. We're, we're glad to see here that the school of the prophets was thriving. It was growing. They had outgrown their facility. Things are good. There's so many people being trained to be prophets that they don't fit in their old facility. That's a good problem to have. So what do they do? They say, well, we got to build a new facility. Where do you find trees in Israel? Down by the water. So they go down to the River Jordan and they go there to cut down some trees so they can build this new facility. In verses 3 and 4, they tell Elisha, Elisha, you're like the, the boss, the director, the rector of our Bible college, our school of the prophets, so you come with us. And Elisha says, OK. So he goes down there to the Jordan with them. But check out what happens in verse 5. It says that as one of these students was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, alas, my master. 
It was borrowed. Now, it's a bummer, right? It's a bummer when you lose something that you borrowed. It's not good. Um, it's a bummer when your tools break or you lose something. But what do you do, right? You, you just go and you, you buy a new one, except not in those days. In those days, you couldn't do that. An axe head, understand this, an axe head is made out of iron. And not just a little iron, it's made of a lot of iron. And in those days, we know that iron was present at this time in Israel, but it was rare. And because it's rare, that also means that it was expensive. So keep that in mind. Probably that meant that this was the only axe head that they had. So by losing this axe head, work on building this facility immediately came grinding to a halt. It stopped. But there's a bigger problem. And really, the, the real issue is this. These are poor Bible college students. They don't have any money. They, they can't afford to replace this expensive axe head. The, the better way to think about it for you and I that we can relate to, this would be like if you borrowed a very expensive piece of equipment and on your watch it somehow broke or was lost and you're on the hook to replace it or fix it. Losing this axe head would have been so expensive. Some historians say this. This axe head would have been so expensive at that time that this student probably would have had to sell himself into slavery or indentured servitude in order to pay off the debt to replace this axe head. That's how expensive this would have been. So understand, this is a real crisis. This is a crisis that would have absolutely had life-altering consequences and implications for this young man who lost the axe head. So look at what happens in verse 6. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and he took it. Now listen, losing an axe head to you and me seems like a relatively small thing. Like, there are bigger problems in the world. And that, that is true. Even though this was a legitimate problem, there are bigger problems out there in the world, aren't there? Right? There's like famines. There's, there's wars, pestilence. There are other things that are, maybe we would say, bigger problems than losing an axe head. And yet, what this story shows us is that God cares about the things that you're going through. He cares about the things that happen in your life. Listen, maybe you're going through something in your life, and to you, that thing is a really big deal. It's a really big deal, what you're going through. Maybe it's a problem at work. Maybe it's a conflict in a relationship. Maybe it's a medical issue you're dealing with. To you, it's a really big deal. But then somebody else comes along, right? And what do they say to you? They say, oh, you're worried about that? Well, I know this other guy, and he's got a way bigger problem than you do. Or maybe uh, he says, oh, well, you think your problem's bad. Well, listen to this, right? And they tell you some story. They're like, one-up you. And, and you might say to yourself, maybe even sometimes, you might say, oh, well, you know, yeah, I've got this problem. But, you know, there are other people out there who have it way worse than I do. So, you know, God probably doesn't care about my minuscule little problems. I've got the sniffles. Somebody else has got cancer. I'm worried about what to do at work, and God's up there. You know, he's just trying to make sure the world keeps spinning and that nuclear war doesn't happen. But I want you to understand this. While there is a sense that it is good for us to put our problems in perspective, to have a perspective of the world and all the things that are going on. It's good to put our problems in perspective. On the other hand, it would be wrong for you to assume that God doesn't care about your problems, the things that you're facing, because they aren't big enough for him to worry about. 
You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. No, 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 not at all. God encourages us, in fact, in his word. He says, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Listen, friend, whatever is causing you anxiety in your life, understand this. God cares about it, and he wants you to cast that anxiety and that worry upon him. Listen, other people may indeed have bigger problems than you do, but that does not mean that God doesn't care about your problems. And what this story shows us is that God sees the problems that you're facing in your life, and he does care. I love what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, guys, if God was willing to give his son for you, what does that tell you about all the other problems you face? Not only does it tell you that God is able to help in those situations, it also tells you that God is willing. He is willing to help in the situations that cause you anxiety and troubles. Listen, in the midst of this crisis, God reminded these people through this miracle about his presence, that he was with them, about his purpose, that he had a purpose for them, and about his power, that he was able to take care of them. And don't we need to be reminded reminded of those same three things ourselves when we're in the midst of a crisis. We need to be reminded that God's presence is with us, that he has a purpose and a calling for our lives, and we need to be reminded of his power towards us, that he's able to do all things, and he is willing to help when we ask for help and when we need it. This miracle gave these people clarity about those three things in the midst of their crisis. Now listen, it's been said that the gift of a crisis is clarity. The gift of a crisis is clarity. I mean, think about it. When your house is on fire, your priorities become very clear very quickly, don't they? Right? Like when your house is on fire, you grab the kids, you grab grandma, and maybe you grab the dog, but you don't really worry very much about your Xbox, right? The Xbox can burn, grandma can't, right? So your priorities become very very clear, very quickly in the midst of a crisis. Those issues you're facing at work, they just keep you up at night. You're so worried about them. You know, they become a lot less important when your child's in the hospital, for example, right? So a crisis gives you a lot of clarity in your life. We've all seen that during the pandemic, haven't we? This has been an ongoing conversation. Which things count as essential and which things count as non-essential? In other words, crisis brings a degree of clarity about priorities. On the other hand, it's the lack of clarity in the midst of a crisis that can be very, very difficult for us, isn't it? When you don't have clarity on the fact that God's presence is with you, when it feels that God is absent or God is silent in the midst of your crisis, that can be very concerning. That can be very hard to deal with. Or maybe, you know, you worry about the purpose. You're not clear on why is God allowing this to happen to me? That can be very hard to deal with in the midst of a crisis. Maybe you feel like you don't have the strength. You're facing something that's just too 
difficult, too much, and you don't have the strength to face this thing that is in front of you. It is in those times that you need faith. And what do you need faith for? Well, let's work through this sentence. First of all, you need faith to trust in God's presence, to trust in God's presence. That's the second part of our sentence. Now, moving on to verse 8 in our text, we see the second crisis in this text. And in this crisis, in verse 8, we see that the nation of Syria was once again attacking Israel, waging war against Israel, and trying to conquer them. But here's what happens. This is interesting. In verses 8 through 10, it tells us that God would speak to Elisha and reveal to Elisha where the Syrian troops were planning to attack Israel next, right? Like what their next move was going to be militarily, where they were planning to attack. And then Elisha, getting that information from God, he would then go and he would tell that information to the Israeli generals and military, and then they would get ready to you know, defend against that attack or move out of the way. But either way, Israel was always one step ahead of Syria. They always knew what Syria's next move was because God was showing that to Elisha. Now, of course, this would be very frustrating if you were on the Syrian side. And it says in verse 11 that the king of Syria was very frustrated by this. The Israelis always somehow know what his next move is going to be. And he's starting to wonder, how is this possible? How can they know uh, what my next move is always going to be. And he says, you know, I'll bet there's a spy. I'll bet one of my servants in my house is feeding information to the Israelis. He's hearing our conversations as he's serving in our house. And then he's going and telling the Israelis what we're about to do. But look at verse 12. One of the king's advisors comes and he says, no, no, no. There's no spy amongst us. Rather, there is a prophet in Israel and God tells him everything that you say, even what you say behind closed doors uh, in your bedroom with your wife. And, uh, and so the king of Syria says, well, that's a problem. Uh, we have got to capture Elisha and we have to kill him because we'll never stand a chance at defeating Israel while uh, Elisha's around and he's getting this information and this intel from God. So in verse 13, the king of Syria, he orders his troops to find Elisha. And one of his troops, they say, I know where Elisha is. He's in this place called Dothan. So verse 14, the Syrian army sends horses and chariots, which, by the way, were the most advanced military technology that existed at that time. Anything with iron was very advanced at this time. And just think about it. If you have chariots and horses, you have a huge advantage over somebody who's just fighting in rudimentary hand-to-hand -hand combat. So they, they come with all their military might, chariots, horses, all these soldiers, and they surround the city of Dothan where Elisha is sleeping. They do it at night while he's asleep. In verse 15, it says that in the morning, Elisha's servant, it's just the two of them together in this place they're staying, his servant wakes up, he goes outside on the front porch, and he looks around, and the whole town is surrounded by Syrian troops on every hillside. They're surrounded in a circle. They're sieged, right? There's no way out. This is a hopeless situation. So the servant, he goes back inside, and he wakes up Elisha, and he tells him what's going on. He says, Elisha, we're surrounded. It's, it's hopeless. They've got us on all sides. They're going to kill us. And he asks in his desperation, what shall we do? And Elisha tells him in verse 16, check this out. He says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Now, imagine if you're the servant and you hear that, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You'd be like, well, first of all, let's make this clear. Those who are with us, what do you mean us? Understand, they are not here for us. They're here for you, Elisha. Like, this servant could just walk right out the door. He's going to be just fine. They're not here for us. They're here for Elisha. That's the first thing he wants to clear up. Second thing he wants to clear up is this. Like, either you're delusional or you're just really bad at math because there's obviously an army outside and there's two of us. And you know what the guy's saying? I can see the situation clearly. I can see clearly. You are not thinking clearly, Elisha. But check out what happens. Elisha's servant, he's like, I'm not blind. I can see. We're all alone. There's two of us, and we're surrounded by an army. But check out what happens in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, and he said, Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Isn't that interesting? Because the servant thought that he could see clearly. But Elisha prays for him that God would open his eyes so he can see. So it says, The Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This army of angels is surrounding the Syrians who are surrounding Elisha. Listen, when the servant's eyes were opened, he became able to see the unseen spiritual realm. And as that happened, he got a totally different perspective on what was happening all around him, on his situation. He realized that, in fact, they were not alone, as he had previously thought. He realized that God was doing so much more, he just hadn't been able to see it. God was doing it all along. He just hadn't seen it. I want you to think about this. Elisha did not pray that God would change the situation. Elisha only prayed that God would open the eyes of the servant so he could see what God was already doing in that situation. Also, Elisha's prayer did not change the situation, did it? It didn't change the situation. Rather, it only changed the servant's perception of the situation. That army of angels out there, they were already there before the servant could see them. The only difference is that now the servant is able to see what had already been there all along. Listen, friends, I want you to know this. Faith is not imagining things that are not real. That's not faith. Faith is not imagining things that are not real. And faith is not wishful thinking. You know what faith is? Faith is the ability to perceive and believe real things that cannot be seen with the natural eye. This story is massively, hugely important for us. And here's why. Because this story shows us this, that in your situation, in your life, just because you can't see what God is doing, it doesn't mean that God isn't at work. Oftentimes, God is doing a lot more than what you are even aware of and what you can see and what you can perceive. Now, let's continue on in the story. In verse 18, the Syrians charge towards Elisha. They're coming at him from all sides. And Elisha prays that God would strike them with blindness. Strike them with blindness. So on the one hand, Elisha's praying that the man's eyes would be open so he can see the spiritual reality. On the other hand, he's praying for these other guys that they would be blind. And God makes them blind. It's an interesting contrast, isn't it? This is a story which is all about perception. It's about how oftentimes, when you look at your situation, you and I, we cannot see all that God is doing 
in any given situation. But if you could, if just for a moment your eyes would be open to see all that God is doing, it would totally change the way you think and the way that you feel about that situation that you are in and the things that you are up against. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.